Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That is James 5, verse 16b. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Prayer is powerful, and the Lord knows us adoptive, foster, and kinship caregivers need a lot of it. If you need some prayer to help you on your journey, then you'll love my guest today. So stay tuned for that conversation. First, I'd like to remind you of a vital training that we have coming up. Uh, It's our virtual introduction to FASD workshop. Uh, It's going to be offered on October 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Whether you know you're parenting a kiddo who was prenatally exposed to alcohol or not, uh, whether your child has a diagnosis or not, this workshop will be eye-opening and educational. It's vital training for every foster and adoptive parent because There's such a disproportionate number of children in this population who've been prenatally exposed. And most of the time, it's just, it's not diagnosed or it's misdiagnosed. So this is really an eye-opening training. And I believe it's a training that every foster and adoptive parent should have. Um, I'll be teaching it. It's the Intro to FASD uh, Virtual Workshop. Um, It's a 90-minute training. Uh, Again, October 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern, Registration is only $15, and we will be offering certificates to those who attend so you can count the time towards your continued training hours that you have to have. Um, So to register or to just learn more information, you can visit justicefororphansny.org slash events, and that's where you would sign up. Also, be sure to check out our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. These have been so well received. We've been hearing from a lot of listeners on how um, how much they're appreciating this information and, and how um, just insightful they've been, these episodes. Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and much more. I'm recording a series of episodes with Dr. Brown, and we are really zeroing in on topics of particular interest to all adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, FASD, screen time, executive dysfunction, inappropriate sexual behavior. If you have teens, you will want to make sure that you are listening to that one. Working memory, cognitive flexibility, all of the things. So uh, regular episodes like this one of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop in your inbox on Mondays. These special episodes with Dr. Brown drop on Friday. So you know what? You get two a week actually from us. Um, So great resources for all caregivers. You won't want to miss them. So make sure you check them out and be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review if you get a chance um, so that other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers find this show um, and and are encouraged and equipped too. When you, when you subscribe, especially when you also leave a review, um, it makes the show more accessible. So when people are searching for podcasts for adopted parents, foster parents, and so on, this show will land in the top of their search um, if it has had enough subscribers and enough um, 
reviews. So that's why we ask you to do that because it just helps other people who need it to find it. Now, before we get to our guest today, I want you to stay tuned for this important announcement. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. All right, thanks so much. And now to our guest, Melissa Smallwood is a counselor for a licensed behavioral health center in Charlestown, West Virginia, and provides coaching services to families through her own business, Mending Hearts Coaching. She enjoys combining her personal experience as a former foster youth, foster and adoptive mom, and therapist to offer hope and encouragement to families navigating the often murky waters of foster care and adoption. She also trains new and prospective foster and adoptive parents through Shepherd University and Concord University. Melissa is also author of Foster Parent Prayers, Support and Encouragement for Foster and Adoptive Parents. She lives in Shepherdstown, West Virginia with her husband, Mike, and their youngest daughter. Please welcome Melissa Smallwood. Hey, Melissa. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I am great. It is so great to have you on the show. Um, I'm excited to unpack the amazing work that you are doing to support adoptive and foster parents. Uh, but first, I'd like to dive into your story. Um, would you share with us about your experience um, as a foster youth? Sure. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, when I was a little girl in middle school, um, I confided in a counselor about some things that were happening in my family. And um, a few days later, um, I was removed from our home and uh, placed in the foster care system. Uh, my brothers and I were separated at that point. They went to an immediate kinship placement and I was in a group home at first. And then I was in two different foster homes before I eventually landed in a kinship placement with my grandparents. Oh, wow. So, at, and, and how long is that where you stayed to finish out high school and, and kind of launch into life? Well, um, I had a really difficult time as a teenager in care. Um, I really struggled with being kept away, what I perceived at the time as being kept away from my little brothers and my mom. Um, and so when I was 16, I ran away from my grandparents um, to my mom um, because the issues that were part of my removal still existed. I was only with her for about two and a half, three weeks uh, before that fell apart. And I um, briefly lived with my dad. That also didn't work. And so I've been on my own um, since I was 16. I started renting a room in an apartment. I dropped out of high school got a job and got pregnant all in that year. Wow. Yeah, that's that sounds like 
you know, a lot of foster youth could maybe be telling a similar story, which I'm sure you're well aware of. For sure. Um, yeah. So, so you are a foster and adoptive parent as well as a licensed counselor today. Mm -hmm. Um, so you've come a long way from that early history. Um, so which came first? Did you become a counselor first or a foster parent? No. So, well, first I became an adoptive parent when I was 20 years old. Um, I adopted my stepson who came from a traumatic abusive background. And so he was my first, um, venture into parenting trauma-affected kids. That was way back in 1999. Um, He's 29 now, which blows my mind. Um, And so I've been an adoptive parent for a long time. Um, Then back in 2010, um, I was working with teen moms. Obviously, I have a connection to that. Um, And I was with my best friend. We ran a ministry for teen moms in our local area. And um, that's how we adopted our next daughter. Um, She came to us as a pregnant teen. um, And we took her and her baby into our home. And I became a Mimi at 31 from that. Um, wow. Then for the foster care aspect, my husband had always said, okay, okay, because it's obviously something that's dear to my heart, um, especially to foster older children. And so he said, when our biological boys are graduated and kind of out of the house and left the nest, then we'll foster. And so back in 2015, Matthew, our youngest, graduated from high school. And that same month, I applied to grad school (laughs) and we started taking certification classes for becoming foster parents. Wow. So you had dropped out of school at 16, but you clearly went back and did all of the things and then was in grad school. Right. I got my GED when I had two babies on my hip. And um, it took me 13 years to get my bachelor's degree, one class at a time. Um, and then I started grad school once um, Matthew graduated. Wow. What a, an amazing story of just perseverance and determination and and uh, moving forward with with all of that. That is wonderful. So yeah. so over the years, how many you know, how many kids have you have you fostered? What has that been like? Yeah, formally, we have um, we had four placements. Um, and three of those remained a permanent member of our family. It's funny because when we went into foster care, we wanted to be foster only, right? Because we were, we technically were facing an empty nest, although um, my daughter and her two little ones still live with us. Um, and so we just wanted to be foster only, be a safe place for kids to land till they aged out. And then they, you know, were welcome to still maintain contact with us. And that's just not how it worked out. Um, all of the children that entered our home were eligible to be adopted and um, deserved permanency. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you were open to that clearly. Yeah. Um, how has your experience as having been a foster youth, you've been in the system um, yourself, how has that helped you as a foster and adoptive parent? Yeah. So even back when my oldest son, Jason, um, came into the picture and I adopted him, um, my own experiences helped me relate to some of the things that I knew that he was going through, um, including that loyalty conflict that kids can feel about attaching to someone else who is not their biological parent and how that can really kind of mess with your head in a lot of ways. Um, and as, with my girls, I I mean, I've been there. I've, I have been a runner and I have 
you know, done things out of my pain and my trauma that I regret. And so I, I just look at some of the behavior and some of the ways that they push away um, in a way that I can deeply relate to and not take as personally um, as, you know, someone that hasn't had those experiences in their life. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's key because I know it's so easy if you don't have that understanding when you're a foster or adopted parent to take it personally because it yeah. feels personal. Well, even um, when you have that, like, even though I know what, where it's coming from, right. And when it's kind of coming at you, sometimes it can be really hurtful, even when you have that knowledge. Um, but it's not personal. I can say that the horrible things I said to my foster parents and my grandparents and the ways that I acted out weren't about anything other than my own pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's such wonderful insight for adoptive and foster parents to, to be able to hear even because it, it's common to happen. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I remember that with, we, we took a kinship placement first um, back in 1999 also. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I just, you know, I remember telling my husband, it's like anything I tell her to do, she doesn't do. Um, you know, it's almost like she would do some of the things my husband would tell her. I, it just always felt like because I'm the mom, it's getting pointed at me. Exactly. Right? And and that's a valid actual yeah. thing that happens with kids with attachment issues. Yeah. So common. So so then you're you're doing all this great stuff. You're fostering, you're adopting. What led you to become a licensed counselor? I wanted to be a therapist for several years before I had the opportunity to go to grad school, um, simply because therapy had been transformative for me in processing my own trauma, um, in reestablishing a relationship with my dad. I hadn't spoken to him in 13 years, um, and therapy really helped me uh, work through some of that. Um, and in processing my trauma, just becoming... Um, realizing that some of the things I did with Jason back in 1999, had I known better, I would have done better. Right. And so, um, as I wanted to equip other people with the knowledge and the understanding of trauma and what it does to your brain and all of those things and, um, how to help kids. And I parented my foster children so much differently than I parented him because I knew new information. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is great. I love that. I love what you just said about um, therapy was so transformative to you and you knew that that could, that mm -hmm. could help others. I love that. Um, you know, I know so many adoptive foster and kinship caregivers, you know, when, when, Coming into Christian families, you know, we want the children in our home, biological or whether we've adopted kids or we're fostering, we want them to know the Lord. We pray for them. We want them to know the Lord. And mm -hmm. um, it's not easy because a lot of times they're not open to that. But, you know, you, you know, you are a person of faith. So, you know, at what point did you come to know the Lord? What, what role did that play in your life? So it's interesting. When I was little, um, my my dad would go through phases. And one of his phases when I was little was a very religious phase. And, um, but it was in a denomination um, that's kind of obscure and, and um, was really used as a means of control um, over our family. And so I had a bad taste in my mouth um, as a teen about God um, and compounded with that experience plus 
yeah, okay, if there was a God, he wouldn't have yanked my baby brothers away from me and, you know, placed me in all these placements and, you know, all this wouldn't be happening to me if somebody was up there that cared, right? And so that was 100% my attitude, very closed off um, to God. And, but I had a lot of his word in my heart because part of, you know, my upbringing in that um, particular denomination was a lot of memorization. And so, you know, I, I had the word of God hidden in my heart and I know that it never left. Um, and so when I was 18, I had two babies at that point and I had had them very back to back and um, was in the throes of postpartum depression. Um, you know, not showering, not really caring if my baby was crying, like dark, intrusive thoughts, like the whole thing back then didn't really understand what was happening, but I thought I had totally ruined my life by having babies. Um, and so I got this postcard in the mail, like simple as that. And it said, um, are you a young mom? Do you need a timeout? Call XYZ church, free childcare provided. Wow. That was all I needed because I just needed time away from my, my husband was at work all day. It was just me and these babies that I, and I was losing my mind. And so every Wednesday I got to go to that church and hand my screaming, crying infant who never stopped crying, the poor colicky little thing. I handed my kids to these sweet older ladies. And then I went and got loved on, um, by Debbie and Jennifer and, um, they didn't, I'll probably get emotional. Um, they didn't shove Jesus down my throat, right? There were about eight of us girls in there, um, you know, who kids don't get pregnant as teenagers for no reason, right? So we all had things going on or that had happened to us that made us kind of suspicious of grownups. And now we were grownups and um, they just loved on me and they started by helping me get my GED and um, just reminding me that, I hadn't ruined everything by having these babies so young that I still had potential and I could still use my gifts and talents and all of those things, which eventually led me to being saved and, you know, growing in faith in Jesus, because they really, I say they were Jesus with skin on to me and they really were, mm. um, Debbie's still an amazing source of encouragement in my life, you know, 25 years later. Oh, I love that story. And what a, you know, what a testimony to churches and actually some, some maybe advice to a church looking to reach out and, and to disciple and to minister because what a, what a beautiful ministry to, to young struggling moms. Yeah. Um, and that was transformative in your life. It I was. love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's talk about your book because I've got a copy of it right here. Um, it is Foster Parent Prayers, mm -hmm. Support and Encouragement for Foster and Adoptive Parents. It's a 31-day devotional prayer book. Mm -hmm. So, Melissa, what inspired you to write this book? Um I had been kind of a de facto mentor um, to a group of foster moms in Florida where we lived at the time that we fostered. And so much of the challenges that they faced and the things that they were talking about were really about trying to take control of things that we don't have any control over, right? Including how our kids turn out. Yes. <laughs> um, and so... I had only reached those kind of conclusions myself through prayer journaling. 
um, with God and him reminding me that like my only obligation to these kids is to love them unconditionally with the love of Jesus and what they do with it will be what it will be. And it's between him and them. And that was so freeing and so releasing um, to just love them. Um, Not that I did it perfectly by any means, but letting go of feeling responsible for the choices that they make. No one could have stopped me when I was 14, 15, 16 for making the decisions that I was making. I was making them from a place of pain and I was very stubborn and my heart was very hard and there wasn't any talking me into or out of anything. In fact, any attempt at doing that just made me more determined to show you, you know? And so um, I just wanted to encourage foster parents that the way for our hearts to handle this roller coaster that foster care takes us on, um, whether the child gets reunified or whether we adopt them and they're with us permanently, um, is through prayer. It's it's plugging into the power source and it's truly the only thing some days that got me through and not to give up. Yeah, I love that because I've I've been a parent because I've I have three biological older kids. So I've been a parent for 33 years. And I have to say lately I have been kind of like my revelation has been you cannot control outcomes. It doesn't matter if they're your biological kids or they come in through adoption or foster care Correct. or kinship. We cannot control outcomes. We have to, you know, we're responsible to do the things we're supposed to do, but primarily love on them because and we model. can control and model because yep. we can control so much to where we actually push the push kids away, right? So, right. And, and, and no matter what we do, we can't control the outcome because like you just said, you know, they're going to reach an age, they're going to do what they're going to do. Our job is to plant those seeds, to pray for them, to cover them in prayer. And then when you have adult children, um, again, a, a biological or, you know, foster or adopted, yes, ma'am. again, you have no control over None. that. Really, all we can do is love them right. and pray for them right. well, and model. And the other thing we can do is set loving, healthy boundaries. And that was something that was yes. super hard for me because I related to my girls so much. I wanted, I knew how much they had already been hurt in their life and I didn't want to be the source of pain. And it took me probably too long to figure out that cushioning every fall was not helping them be able to grow into adults who could take care of themselves. And that was a hard thing for me to let go of and to learn that part of loving them well was also, was also boundaries in a loving, healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So um, I love the format of your book. Each day has a foster parent prayer, a a key scripture verse, the devotional part, um, a key point for the message, and then a journaling prompt and space Mm -hmm. to space to journal. I love that. So what are you hoping that parents will get out of the devotional book? My first hope is that it will strengthen their faith. Um, because that's been so pivotal in my foster and adoptive parent journey. Um, And my second hope is that they won't feel alone. Um, So often what happens inside of our homes as foster and adoptive parents, we, we tend to be almost secretive about in part because we're wondering if anyone else faces these problems. Right. And also we don't want to discourage people from um, doing this important work. 
by telling them how hard it is to do the important work. And I used to be like that. I, for years, like none of our friends, our church family, they didn't know a lot about what was going on in our home, raising my oldest son. And um, because of the trauma that had impacted him. And now I realized that was a disservice, not just to us, but to him and our other kids, because it would keep us from, you know, engaging in activities with everyone else. It would keep us from friendships that could have been a source of support. Um, And I felt alone in those days. And so I, as I met with foster parents in real life and developed connections with them, I realized we're all going through the same thing. Like if we could just be okay with talking about that. And I'm so glad that social media has really amplified our ability to do that. I'm incredibly transparent without talking a lot about my own children's stories because those are their stories to tell. Um, But I want to be transparent about the hard so that people don't quit when it gets hard. Um, I I teach foster and adoptive parent training classes for my state and I am brutally honest about what it's going to look like, right? Because I feel like if we can be prepared for that, and it's not this big surprise when we have behaviors related to trauma and when we have um, baffling things happening in our home, um, if we can be prepared, then we're less likely to throw in the towel. Yeah, I I believe that that is so important because it can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids who've experienced trauma you know, it's, it's, it's not a pretty picture all the time what goes on at home. (laughs) And I know, I know in my family, you know, my youngest two are teenagers and they're also prenatally exposed to alcohol. So they've got fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that just brings another whole level of stuff to the table and um, can also make it feel isolating because not everybody gets that unless they're walking through it. So I agree with the social media and I, and I love, you know, your book helps us, you know, it it brings us together. So we're not feeling alone. I can see where, um, you know, it could even be, you know, uh, even a a, a adoptive or foster parent support group could do it as Mm -hmm. a, as a study together, that kind of thing. Um, Because we need to, we need to find our people. We need to rely on our people. We need connection with, with folks who are on this similar journey, um, which I, I did want to put in it before we get back to the book, sure. just um, to ask you about, how, you know, what, what has been your experience with um, trainings and things involving FASD? Because that's a big, I'm a big advocate for that here mm-hmm. in New York. There's hardly anything out there, um, especially locally in my area yeah. um, for parents. So I'm like, we're providing that training now. So um, what has been your experience in that area? No, there's not a lot of training for those kind of what I call in the clinical world comorbidities of trauma, right? Like a lot of kids who have been impacted by trauma also have these other things that, you know, were either related to substances or brain injuries from physical abuse or these compounding factors that make it even harder um, to meet their needs and make it harder for them to be emotionally regulated. Um, unfortunately there just isn't a lot out there still, even with, you know, social media and stuff that's like in person, um, focused on those specific issues because kids with FASD need to be parented even differently than kids that are only trauma affected and definitely differently than our neurotypical kids. And, and it can be so overwhelming, um, especially if you don't have the support that you need and the education that you need. Right. I know. And that's one of the things that, I, you know, me and, and our organization are trying to, to, to transform that because firsthand experience living it, 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember my boys getting diagnosed when they were little. And then it was like, have a nice day. <laughs> there was no right. resources. Right. There was no anything. Definitely no so parent I, coaching or anything like that. Nothing. And so I didn't know what I didn't mm-hmm. know. Like we had, like I, you know, we, we dove into learning all we could about trauma and, you know, learning, you know, the connected parenting and all of that kind of stuff, which has been helpful. Yeah. But then there reaches a time where you're like, wait, what else is going on here? Because clearly we're missing something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because they had the diagnosis, I was able to say, I need to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in doing that, getting a whole lot of training and certifications in that area to then be able to teach um, and speak on it has been huge. And, and starting a support group, a virtual support group for parents, um, been vital. So thank you. Thank you for sharing Well, and that. unfortunately, those diagnoses can be really hard to get in the first. Yes, exactly. I mean, my boys got the diagnosis because they were they were adopted internationally. They have the facial features. Mm-hmm. We have documentation that just said the parents were alcoholics, that kind of thing. So it, it wasn't really hard for us to get the diagnosis, mm-hmm. but there's so many people who, because it's an invisible disability right. and, and the facial features just really affect a small percentage of that population, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to even get that. So I just always throw it out there to everybody that if you're a foster or adoptive parent, you have to at least get the introduction training mm-hmm. Because you're probably dealing with it and you don't know. Right, exactly. You know, so because it's so common. So anyway, back to your book. Where can our listeners grab a copy? It's Foster Parent Prayers, Support and Encouragement for Foster and Adoptive Parents. Mm-hmm. They can get it on my website, um, www.mendingheartscoaching.com backslash book. Um, and there's also a link tree on my Instagram profile that will take you directly to the site to order it as well. Perfect. Well, we will put a link in the show notes so that they can find your website. Our listeners can find your website and the book because it is a great resource. Um, I think it would make a great gift even for um, foster and adoptive parents as well. Um, If you are a foster or adoptive parent, you're going to just want one to use. Um, So get that on your shelf. So um, we'll make sure people can find it. As we wrap up, Melissa, and I feel like I could just talk to you forever. So I don't like the fact that we have to wrap up, but um, (laughs) you are so inspiring, your story and all that you're doing. But would you share with um, some words of encouragement for our foster and adoptive parents who are listening? They might be struggling. Their kids have trauma. um, You know, it feels isolating. What would you say to them? I would tell you that every loving interaction Um, that you are able to have with your foster child is tending to a garden. And I use this metaphor a lot for foster and adoptive parenting, which is that sometimes we get kids in the bulb stage and sometimes we get kids that are in the process of blooming. And sometimes we get kids whose growth has been impacted and they're wilting. Um, And we don't know where we're going to get um, the plant at what stage we're going to get it, but every single loving act, um, every kind word, every time you show up for them, you follow through with what you said you were going to do. Um, every time that you help them feel psychologically safe, you're tending to that garden. And one day when they do bloom, because I'm proof that we do, right. My foster parents didn't ever get to see that. Um, but I still bloomed in part because of this one in particular foster mom who truly 
watered my garden, gave me fertilizer, like really just poured into me in ways that I didn't even recognize until I was parenting years and years and years later um, and realized what an impact that had on my life. So you may only be watering a seed, but it will one day bloom. And the love and attention that you put into a child is never, ever in vain, even if you don't ever get to see them bloom. I love that analogy. Have Have you ever just out of curiosity, have you ever reconnected with any of your former foster parents? With that particular foster mom, I did. Um, it was back in 2013 or 14, I think it was like 20 years later. Um, I found her on Facebook and I just told her, I was like, you may not remember me, but I just wanted you to know that I've never forgotten these things that you said to me and that I am doing well. And I told her about my life and my kids and where I was at and that I had faith in Jesus because she used to drag me to church. And, um, (laughs) and we just reconnected and she was like, of course, I remember who you are. I've prayed for you Uh, every day. uh, And so, yeah. So it's really, sorry. (laughs) It's it's so meaningful to me all these years later um, that I was important to her and that the things that she planted in me, they turned out to be really important to me too. Yeah. So what we say and what we do as foster adoptive parents, so important, even when it doesn't look like anything is happening. Right. Kids are very porous. They're very porous. They're taking everything in, whether you can tell they are or not. Um, and so you may think that you're having no, I know for a fact, she didn't think she was having any impact on me, um, <laughs> but she was. And those words would repeat themselves in my head as I was making bad decisions. And as I started making good ones, um, her words were always playing in my head. Wow. So that is what an encouragement right there to our parents listening that, you know, stay the course, build those connections, build trust, pour in that love, pour in those affirming words, because they are don't give up on them. don't give up and pray for them that she's been praying for you all those years. You know, our prayers do. That's what makes me cry. Like how impactful is that? Yeah, 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 that is wonderful. Melissa, thank you so much for sharing your story and encouraging us today. Um, Thank you for writing your book. You are such an encouragement and a resource for foster and adoptive parents. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. What a wonderful conversation with an amazing young woman who has been through it and is giving back and just just shared such words of encouragement for us foster and adoptive and kinship caregivers because we just never know the impact we're really having. So we need to stay the course Um, So I hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Melissa Smallwood and check out the show notes for um, the link to her her website and her book. Um, So thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'm still like excited about it. Um, And that book will make Melissa's book will make a great Christmas gift for any foster and adoptive family that, you know, Um, or if you are the foster and adoptive family you know, you're going to want one on your own bookshelf. Or if you have a group at church, a foster adoptive parent support group, it might be a great um, resource for for, um, each member. You can give them out at Christmas time, whatever you want to do. Grab a copy. um, Make sure you check it out because you have to go to Melissa's website to order it. So make sure that you check that out. 
Um, also, be sure to check out our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community um, and our Intro to FASD workshop. That's coming up on October 27th. Um, and we have other free resources um, for adoptive and foster and kinship caregivers available on our website, justicefororphansny.org. Um, you can also check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It won a Golden Scroll Award for Memoir of the Year. I'm still in shock about that and so honored. So you can grab a copy wherever you buy your books. If you would like um, a signed copy, you can grab that at sandraflack.com. And there you can learn more about me, read my blog, Contact me for speaking opportunities. I love to come and speak to foster and adoptive parents and um, lead trainings and workshops on FASD and other things, um, and even um, just encourage women um, on retreat. Um, so whatever you're looking for, would love to be a part of it. So make sure you reach out to me at sandraflack.com. I always like to give a shout out to some of our business sponsors who help us to do what we do at Justice for Orphans. So a big thank you to Tri Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Bowdry Construction, National Bank of Cooksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis and help us to do what we do at JFO. If you enjoyed the show, again, be sure to subscribe and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also look me up there. I'm at Sandra Flack. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans and check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.